us and guide us as we hear his word. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, as we come to you today, we're reminded, Lord, of our tremendous need for you. Father, we think of those who aren't here. I think of the several families, Father, who, who are off on vacation because this is the last weekend of the summer. Lord, we ask that you'd be with them. And Father, though they're not with us, they're still a part of us. And Father, we think of George Ramon and pray for him as he continues to gain strength and recover in his illness. Father, I think also of Angel Caballero and his taking treatments, Lord, for cancer and make sure, Lord, that he's free of that. We ask, God, that you lead the doctors and guide them and that, Father, he might be free of any cell of cancer. Now, Father, we've been looking for several weeks, Lord, at these stories, Lord, in the Old Testament and New Testament about you, Father, and your power and your grace. Now, Father, we need you. We need you right now, Father. I need you. I need you, Father, to speak through me. Father, I need your grace. And Father, we as a congregation need our hearts, Lord, open to hear your word. Thank you, God, for all who we have in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one announcement before I forget. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of each month, as we exit, there will be an usher to receive benevolence offering. Remember, within our church, there are people who have needs, and we want to be able to provide for them financially as they go through times. Richard Carnell, in his famous short story, The Most Dangerous Game, tells of experiences of a guy named Sanger Rainsford, along with his friend Whitney. They were headed for an expedition. They were celebrated huntsmen. They were headed to the Amazon basin for another big hunting spree. They're on this yacht, going pretty fast, and they passed by and looked toward an island, and, and Whitney said, that is the ship trap island, the ship trap island. And he went on to say that the sailors feared it and wanted to stay away from it. But Whitney said, I'd like to move toward it. Well, as they were talking, the two began discussing the whole thing of hunting and predators and the prey. The question of whether the prey had any kind of feelings of fear. And Rainsford said, oh, there's two kinds of things on earth, predators and prey. They went back and forth, and finally, Whitney said, I'm going to bed. Rainsford decided he'd smoke his pipe, went out on the deck, and he heard three gunshots. And he see, with his pipe in his hand, got up on the rail to see what was going on, he fell over. And crying as he would for help, no one heard him. The yacht went on. Thankfully, Rainsford was a good swimmer. 
he, he began swimming, and he, as he was swimming, he heard a cry of an animal. He swam toward it, but eventually the sound stopped when he heard a pistol. Making it to the place, he stayed overnight, just slept, tired, exhausted. The next morning, as he made his way around the island, he found this beautiful chateau. He found out that it was a Russian general, General Zorov, and his associate, Ivan, lived there. And he, too, was a huntsman. Rainsford thought, ah, oh, this is great. And as they talked, they went into the dining room and looking all around this exquisite dining hall, there were all these stuffed and mounted animals. And as they were talking, General Zorov began talking about how hunting had become boring to him. He went back to his childhood and on to these big animal expeditions and how it got to where they were boring. He says, but I've recently begun hunting a new animal, an animal that is cunning, an animal that is bright, an animal that is able to reason. And as the conversation went on, this confusion that Rainsford had turned to horror when he realized that he was the next prey for General Zoroff. The hunter had become the hunted. The hunter had become the hunted. And today, in a different level, in a very different way, as we look at Acts chapter 9, our text for today, we see a similar story, the story of a hunter named Saul, who becomes the hunted in two different ways. First, by the divine hunter, Jesus Christ, and later on, by the Jewish leadership. If we look in Acts verses 7 and 8, which we'll later on, we'll see that Saul just persecuted believers. He went after them, seeking to kill them. Saul saw Christians as a threat to Judaism. And so he wanted to kill them and persecute them. But if we were to get inside his mind and think about it, Saul's parents were Pharisees. They were taught, he was taught the word. And probably around 12 or 13 years old, he went off and he learned the Old Testament scripture. And he never once heard about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Rather, Saul heard... Scriptures like Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so when he began to hear about Jesus Christ and all that was going on, he thought that they were doing wrong and he was doing a favor to God. As a matter of fact, in Acts 26, Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, the story of Saul's conversion, and Saul, of course, becomes Paul, for those who may not know, is told in three, three different chapters. We're today going to focus primarily on chapter 9 of Acts. 
But we will look at chapter 22 and 26 occasionally. And first, I want us to see Saul and his previous actions. In chapter 7, verse 58, it talks about the fact that they, the Pharisees, cast Saul, or cast, rather, Stephen, out of the city as he was sharing with the leaders. And it says that they stoned him. And then once they had finished it, that they would lay their garments at a young man named Saul's feet. Later on in chapter 8, first few verses, it says there became a great persecution that arose against the church, the followers of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. It says that they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. It says Saul was destroying the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. You see, Saul wasn't satisfied just with getting rid of the, the believers of Christ in Jerusalem. He wanted to go beyond that. He rooted them out wherever they fled. In Acts 26, 11, Saul says, I punished them often in the synagogues. In raging fury, in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even in foreign cities. So see his actions in the past. Let's look now at his heart and his mind, the state of his mind. We've seen those violent actions. Verses 1 and 2 read, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues of, at Damascus so that he if he found any belonging to the way, and the way is Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So if they found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Verse 8.3, it says that he was destroying the church. And the word for destroy there is the same word that's used in Psalm 80, verse 13, where it talks about wild boars just destroying a vineyard. In the same way, Saul was destroying the followers of Jesus Christ. In Galatians, verse 13, Saul says, You have heard of my former life in Judaism and how I persecuted the church of God violently in trying to destroy it. If we look at all these different words, words like threat, murder, destroying, raging fury. You see the hate. You see the hostility that's deep pent up inside of this man Saul. We wouldn't expect the man like this, who hated Jesus Christ, who hated his followers, would ever be converted, would ever turn to Jesus Christ, because of his anger and hate. And as we see later on, God does change his heart. And as we look at this, I want us to remember that there's no one outside of God's grace. And God wants us as members of the body of Jesus Christ to share and to reach out 
to anybody and everybody. And to allow the Spirit of God to lead us as we interact with people. If God can change Saul to Paul, who he, he called himself the, the chief of all sinners, then he can change anyone. In the past, as I've talked with people, I hear them often say, God can never save me. God can never change me. That's not true. We all have a past. It's dark to some extent. Not everybody's past is as dark as others. And we may look pleasant. We may look encouraging today. But if we're in Christ Jesus, we have a past. An amazing grace, that old hymn that we all love so much, has that line, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Sometimes I don't think we like to recognize that we're wretches before Christ, without hope. And yet, because Christ pursues us, we're new creations. Regardless of what we've done, no one is without hope. No depth of sin can trump the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient. As I say, it makes us into new creations. It's easy for us, if we're in Christ, to focus back on the past. It's easy for me, as I've talked with you, it's easy for each of us to look back at our past instead of looking forward. God wants us to focus on that grace that we have. Well, after looking at Saul and his past actions and his present state of mind in, in chapter 9 here, we see in verses 3 through 9 that Saul the hunter is being captured by God's grace. Saul the hunter is being captured by God's grace. It says he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? Maybe a better translation might be, Who are you, sir? Out of respect. And Christ said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he could not see. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither he ate or drank. As I look at this experience of Saul, I see immediately God's sovereignty and his initiative in the salvation of Saul. Romans 3.23 says, or not 3.23, Romans 3 says that no one seeks after God. No one, not one of us, sought God first. Rather, it says, it says no one fears God. Ephesians 2 says we're dead. Now, trespasses and sin. But God makes us alive. And John 3.19 says, People love darkness rather than light. 
That's a picture of who we are without Christ. As I look at this experience and I think about God and his sovereignty, first, that overwhelming light that, that blinded Saul and knocked him down had to be just an overwhelming experience for him. And then that voice, the voice that his companions could not hear, could not understand, is Jesus Christ confronts Saul and gives him instructions. I mentioned that in, in Acts 22 and 26, there are some additional stories that go along with that. In Acts 22, it says, Now those who were with me, this is Paul speaking, with me, saw the light but didn't understand the voice. And it goes on in Acts 26 and says that Christ says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. That's kind of a, a, a farmer-like term, maybe. It was used back, I think, in the Latin and Greek times in literature. But basically, as a farmer, they used oxen to plow. If you know anything about oxen, oxen are stubborn. And they would use a long, sharp pole with a sharp pole, sharp end, toward the oxen. They would stick it. Stick it. Of course, sometimes oxen being stubborn, unlike us, of course, would keep on doing the same thing. And sometimes he would, he would endanger himself because the farmer would keep on goading him. And Christ says to Saul, it's hard for you, isn't it, to kick against my goads? It's hard for you. And yet Saul, like us, how we can be sometimes, we can be stubborn, not listen. In a sense, Saul was saying, or rather Christ was saying to Saul, you're like a stubborn ox, and I'm like a farmer, and I'm trying to give you direction and push you. Well, what do you think were some of the goads that Christ was talking about. Maybe Saul had doubts about Christ. You know, he was living at the time of Christ's life and ministry. He could have heard Christ. We don't know. He could have just had doubts as he heard the stories about Jesus Christ and all the miracles that he performed and as he heard Christ preaching. Maybe it was his conscience. I don't think most of us can do what Saul did, murdering people and imprisoning people, and not have a conscience that is affected by that. Maybe that's what Christ was talking about. Maybe it was a manner in which Christians that were persecuted, that were killed, that were imprisoned, as they peacefully kept their faith. Maybe that stuck with Saul and caused him to have questions about who this Jesus Christ was. And maybe in particular, it was that stoning of Stephen and his peace in dying, his forgiving heart. In Acts 7, as they were stoning Stephen, the Pharisees were enraged and they just couldn't wait to get a hold to him. But it says that Stephen, being filled with the Spirit, cried out, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
but they went ahead and stoned him. And as he um, was being stoned, he, he called out to, to the Lord. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. Does that remind you of anyone? Maybe Jesus Christ as he died on the cross? Receive my spirit. And then falling to his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, remind you of anyone? Maybe it was a combination of all four. Maybe it was two or three of them. But we know from what Christ said that Christ had been speaking to Saul. And Saul, being stubborn, refused to listen. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, quotes C.S. Lewis, who, sensing in his own life God's relentless pursuit of him, likens God to that great angler, that fisherman, playing for the fish. Or a cat chasing after a mouse. Or a pack of hounds chasing and closing in on a fox. And finally, that divine chess player who is able to put his opponent in the most disadvantageous place where they have to say, checkmate. Francis Thompson, his early life was one dead end after another. He studied for the priesthood, but he couldn't complete the course. He studied medicine, but failed. He even joined the military for one day and was removed. Finally, he turned to opium and became an addict. But in his fight, in his struggle to get away from the Lord, he could not escape the love of Jesus Christ. And in God's grace, an associate recognized his ability with poems and encouraged him to write. And his most famous poem is The Hound of Heaven. In it, in it he depicts God and God's pursuit of him. Francis says, I fled him down the nights, down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind in the mist of tears. I hid from him and under, la under running laughter up visited hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasmid fears and from those strong feet that followed followed after. Again we see in this poem a man who hit dead end after dead end and yet Christ kept pursuing him. You see, Christ is always the initiator. Christ is always the hunter pursuing us. He brings us to that point in our lives where we acknowledge our desperate need for him. In my life, I can promise you that I was not looking for Jesus Christ. I've told you off and on about how I really sensed the Spirit of God speaking to me. 
I knew what God's word said, but I kept on doing what I wanted to do. I wasn't thinking about Christ. God let me go until I hit rock bottom. And then I listened. In the midst of it all, as I remember back on Christ, I remember him being gentle. His spirit was never harsh or hard. Now, the consequences of my sin were harsh and hard, but not Jesus Christ. He always pursues us in love. Saul's conversion, of course, is unique in the sense that he had this blinding light that knocked him down. It's unique, and we want to recognize that. But I want to recognize also that, in a sense, it is a general example of how God works in our lives. God is the one who pursues us. He pursues us with a deep love. Sometimes it's just the sin in our lives that crashes down on us, that turns us, our focus to Christ. Sometimes it's an auto accident. I had a brother who was driving very fast on a highway, flipped the car over three or four times. God got his attention. Sometimes it's a doctor's report. Sometimes it's the death of a loved one. But whatever it is, God pursues us. And Saul's life here came to a screeching halt. He had big plans of entering into Damascus with pride and with honor, planning on bringing back a, lot, a large number of followers of Jesus Christ to Jeru- back to Jerusalem. And yet, Saul enters into Damascus, a broken man, blind, humbled, needing help, dependent on others. The question for you and for me today is, are we kicking against God's goads in our life? Do you have big plans? Did you have big plans? But maybe a crisis came along and halted everything that you're wanting to do. See, God allows us to go so far. He loves you and me so much that he will work in whatever ways to get our attention. We look back at the passage. Jesus Christ knew Saul's name, called him by name, Saul, Saul. Christ knows your name. He knows my name. He knows your past. He knows your heart. And if you're sitting here today, this morning, and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, what a great opportunity to put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, to bow before God and to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't wait for a crisis. Don't wait and do like I did. Don't allow your sin to put a halt on things. If God is speaking to you, give Christ your life. He is that hunter that relentlessly pursues us because he loves us.
Well, previously, as we look at this story of Saul, we saw the violence, we saw the anger and hate on Saul's part, and the fear on the part of the believers. In verses 10 through 19, we see Saul the hunter being cared for by those that he had previously hunted. In verses 10 and 10 through 12, we meet Ananias, God's instrument in his pursuit of Saul. It says in verse 10 through 12, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? He said, here I am, Lord. I like that. He knew who the Lord was. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. As we look at Ananias, we recognize that close relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, you look back to Saul and, and, and when Christ said, Saul, Saul. Saul had to say, who is this? Because he didn't know who it was. But when he's called upon Ananias, he says, yes, Lord, I'm here. I'm here. We see that closeness. Ananias was little known and probably not well known today, except for this experience probably. But God chose Ananias to baptize and to heal Saul, who would become a celebrity, so to speak. But he's the first of many. If we look back over the years, Augustine heard a child's voice repeat, take up and read. And John Wesley was listening to anonymous Moravian reading Luther. Of course, we all know about D.L. Moody. As he worked in the shoe store, took a few minutes to listen to his Sunday school teacher. Of course, there's Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's seeking shelter on a huge storm night, heard a working man filling in the pulpit of a snowbound minister's pulpit. So you see, Ananias, a man who heard Christ's voice and knew it, a man who was an instrument of the Lord, though unknown. And third, after receiving his instructions to, to go to Saul, he's human. Ananias said, now, Lord, I've heard stories about this Saul. He's evil. He's killing believers. Of course, Christ's response was, go. But Ananias obeyed the Lord. So often, as we hear the Spirit of God, it's easy to say no. I still think back to Alabama growing up, and I think of this lady named Aunt Jane. She wasn't Aunt Jane. That wasn't her name, but we called her Aunt Jane. Godly lady. And God began to impress on her to go to this house that probably had to be the worst place around. The guy had been a bootlegger, and once the county became uh, 
able to sell liquor. He probably, even though it was a very small town, 300 people, he probably sold as much beer as anybody in the county. Horrible place. Guy, and Jane was scared. And the Spirit of God didn't just say go to him, but he said go to, to, to this man and ask if his young daughter could come to vacation Bible school. Man, Jane struggled with it. But she went. She went. And he said yes. And the daughter got saved at vacation Bible school. And in those years when Chris and I would go back to that church, we'd see that daughter in church because Aunt Jane was faithful to listen to the Spirit of God. We need to be willing to obey the Spirit of God as he leads us. Well, laying his hands on Saul, Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that immediately something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he's able to see. And he was baptized. He took food. Ananias' protest, of course, by Christ was overruled because Christ described Saul as a chosen instrument. A chosen instrument. Now, who would have think, who would think back then, who would think now, some of the people that God wants to use, the people around us, maybe, that live a pretty rough life, and God wants to use them. And so, Christ didn't say, okay, uh, you haven't got to go. No, he said, go, because... Paul was a chosen instrument. Saul, or Paul himself, says that it was he, Christ, who had set me apart before I was born. He called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son, in order that I might preach to the Gentile. I'm reminded of Christ talking to the disciples, and he said to them, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Ephesians 1, 4 says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, we might be holy and blameless. Saul was a chosen instrument. And we see a difference in him. We see first a reverence for the Lord. It says he fasted and he prayed for three days. We see a new relationship with the church, with the followers of Jesus Christ. These people that he had been hunting and killing, he now sat down with and ate with, was baptized by, spent days with. God says that we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. He gives us new desires. We're no longer slaves to sin when we put our faith in Christ. I look back at my life, a life before Christ of drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. And the Lord took those desires away from me. We see differences in Saul after he was converted. He changed his way of thinking. He had nothing but hate for Christ and for his followers. But now there was love. He believed that Jesus had died and the resurrection wasn't real. 
but now he knew it was true. What about you? Have you changed your way of thinking about Christ? Or maybe if you're sitting here and you're a believer and maybe Christ is trying to change some other things about you. We'll see that after a time that Saul joined a different type of a hunt, one to reach people for Jesus Christ. In verses 20 through 23, talks about the fact that immediately that Saul began to teach about Jesus Christ, proclaiming Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And people were amazed and they were kind of caught off guard because this is the same guy that had been persecuting. And it goes on, it says that Saul increased in strength and confounded the Jews. We're not sure whether this is immediately after after his salvation. It, 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 I looked at various commentaries. We know that Jesus Christ led uh, Paul, Saul, away for three, month, three years to study God's word and to spend time with him. So we don't know whether this is a short period of time, a brief time, before going off for three years that he proclaimed Jesus Christ. But we know that he did. And in joining this hunt, Saul became hunted again. And this time by the Jewish leadership. He says, when the days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, luring him. We see again this hunter Saul going about his routine and being arrested by Jesus Christ. Sometimes God uses crises in our lives. Sometimes he just wants to speak to us and talk to us about things. We can fight God or we can listen. Sometimes God wants to change our thinking, as he did to Saul. Sometimes he wants to move us geographically. Sometimes he wants to change our professions. Sometimes he wants us to break off unhealthy relationships. But God reserves the right to interrupt your life and my life, just as he did Saul and Ananias. Today our culture is so caught up with celebrities, they are valued. But I want to remind us that the little people, those people behind the scenes, the, the less visible ones, are valued by God and appreciated. He wants to use each of us to reach people for Christ. Are you ready? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you, 